Hey everyone, so for the last few weeks we have been walking through the development of the Sabbath as a day of rest and worship for the people of ancient Israel. And we've primarily concentrated our time in what's called the Torah, uh, which are the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are sometimes called the books of Moses or the books of the law. Um, and in particular, we've looked at Genesis and Exodus. Genesis was where we saw uh, creation itself and that God rested from or ceased from his work of creation on the seventh day. And then Exodus was where we saw God take that example of his ceasing or his resting and make it a part of the lives of Israel. Um, that the people of Israel would cease from their work uh, on Saturdays for the purpose of not just resting, but also worshiping him. Um, we also saw last week just how serious God was about this, um, not only in the fact that he makes this Sabbath command a part of the Ten Commandments, which are sort of this articulation of the moral law of loving God and loving one's neighbor, but also that breaking the Sabbath command was punishable by death. And last week we looked at an example of a time when that happened and kind of asked why, why is this so severe? Why is this such a serious thing? Um, why does God care so much about that? Today we're going to wrap up our exploration of the Sabbath in the Old Testament, uh, and then next week we'll look to the New Testament and we'll consider the implications of the Sabbath in light of the advent of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot more in the Old Testament related to the Sabbath that we could look at. We're not going to have the time and space to get to all of it, but I want to focus our time today on um, a somewhat famous passage as it relates to the Sabbath, and that's Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. And if you have a Bible in front of you or on your phone or something like that, uh, go ahead and turn there. We'll look at a few things in Isaiah 58, uh, but primarily verses 13 and 14. So Isaiah, if you're not familiar with it, Isaiah is a book of prophecy. Isaiah is a prophet that is sent by God to declare his word to the people of Judah, to call them out of sin, to call them out of idolatry, and to call them back to him. And at the time that Isaiah is prophesying, it is a time when the nation of Israel, because of a civil war, has split into two kingdoms. There is a northern kingdom that's still called Israel, and there's a southern kingdom that's called Judah. The southern kingdom is where Jerusalem is, which is of uh, significance. And the northern kingdom has completely turned against God. But, but Judah was a little more on the fence. They still gave God lip service at times. There are certain eras in the history of Judah where uh, they are uh, more obedient to the Lord than other times. But when Isaiah is writing, he's calling the people back to God. And in particular, he's calling the people to re-engage in their part of the covenant that God had made with them through men like Abraham and Moses and David. And, and so much of chapter 8 or chapter 58 deals with the people fasting, which they were still doing. They were still fasting but not in the way that God wanted them to fast. So, for example, uh, if you're looking at uh, your Bible, uh, 
uh, Isaiah 58, God says uh, through Isaiah the prophet to the people in verses 6 and 7, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. So in other words, yes, God is saying, I want you to fast, but if your fasting leads you to have like a self-righteousness or to pat yourself on the back as if you're doing something very righteous, and, and that that somehow prevents you from loving your neighbors, which he defines here as loosing the bonds of wickedness and letting the oppressed go free and breaking the yoke and caring for the homeless and sharing your food and clothing the naked. Like if you're not fasting in that way, then just eating less food or not eating food is uh, not of value um, because God's desire for the people of Israel was to bless them, but it was to bless them so that they would be a blessing to other nations. And that's just a message that they never really lived out. They received it, and they, they, they kind of made attempts to do it at times, but it's not something that they were ever able to live out perfectly. So God shares this message about fasting, um, but then he turns to the Sabbath. At the very end of this chapter, he turns to the practice of Sabbath, verses 13 and 14, and says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take a delight in the Lord, and I will make you right on the heights of the earth. So God says, if you will turn back and, and if you will practice the Sabbath again in the way that I originally intended for you to practice the Sabbath. Um, he says here, if you will stop doing your pleasure on my holy day, which that could be translated as doing your work or doing your business on my holy day, or just doing what you want to do without any consideration for what I, God, want you to do on this day. If you'll turn back from that kind of practice of Sabbath and turn back to more of what the Torah teaches, more of this like practice that is rooted in resting in God's provision and worshiping God, um, then you will be blessed as a result of that. So that's what God says through Isaiah. So this is a call to return to practicing the Sabbath as a covenantal mark of the identity of the Jews as God's people. This is a part of their reality, their existence, their identity that they had gotten away from. They gotten away from practicing the Sabbath in the way that God wanted them to do it, in the same way that they had gotten away from fasting, in the way that God wanted them to do it. But notice here, what's embedded in all of this is a call to delight in the Sabbath, to delight in the day. Uh, in other words, you should not be doing this simply because it is like obligatory or because you're commanded to, but because God intends it for your good. God has given it to you as a gift, and it can and should be a delight to you. That's part of what Isaiah is saying here to the people. Um, but what does delight mean? I think when we think about that word, we think about 
uh, happiness or joy, uh, maybe fun or, or something like that. At our recent book club a few weeks ago, uh, we talked some about the etymology of the Hebrew words, words that get rendered as delight or take delight in. And what we said is that there may not be a great English cognate uh, for these words. In other words, there may not be a great English word that fully encapsulates what these Hebrew words are trying to get at because these Hebrew words have connotations of daintiness and luxury or dainty luxury, um, which is probably not what we think of when we think of the word delight. Um, I think that the implication here in Isaiah is that the Sabbath when practiced in the way that God wants you to practice it, is a great form of luxury um, in which you can like lavishly recline or rest in God's provision. One of the things I said at our book club is that it almost to me draws like a, this kind of mental image of like a royal palatial salon in which people are just sort of lounging or reclining or relaxing or resting um, and it's it's a it's by its nature like a luxurious setting that you could in a sense like luxuriate in the abundance of blessings that God has given and what naturally springs, I think, from a recognition of the abundance of God's provision, the abundance of God's blessing, is worship. I think that that's part of the reason why the observation of Sabbath and corporate worship have historically always been like inextricably linked. That the Sabbath is a day of, of worship by its nature because it's a day in which we try to take full notice of God's provision and the fact that God is taking care of us. Um, so for people coming out of slavery, as was the case for ancient, the ancient Israelites, man, what an incredible luxury to have a day where we don't have to work. We don't have to be making bricks. We don't have to be doing Pharaoh's bidding. We can just rest and God is literally making bread appear on the ground for us every day. And he's literally making water come from rocks. For people who had been enslaved for hundreds of years, what an incredible form of luxury. What an incredible... Uh, experience for them to just be able to rest in that like that's what god wanted for them this very good thing that they would take delight in the day um but for whatever reason and and the reason is sin it's not a, a mystery because of that they just can't do it and and even when they are fully free to practice the sabbath and to rest in god's provision they they just naturally want to turn to other things so Isaiah here is writing to the people of Judah, and it is to the offspring of the line of Judah that we will turn next week, Jesus Christ. Because what does it mean for an Old Testament understanding of the Sabbath um, to learn, as we do in the New Testament, that Jesus Christ is now our Sabbath rest? What does that mean? Um, and specifically, what does that mean for like us in today's world, practicing the Sabbath. We're going to get into all of that next week, and I hope you guys will join us then. We'll see you then.